Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Moolah. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby. Done. Hi, welcome to season 10 of Bad With Money. We're double digits, baby. Although I will say that when I turned 10, I told my parents it wasn't really double digits because zero isn't a digit, which is wrong. But anyway, my name is Gabby Dunn, and this is a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so glad to be back for season 10 of the show. Thank you to everyone who kept up with our mailbag episodes, which will continue to be on Fridays. You can email me at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com and I'll read your emails and play your voice memos. So how to start off this brand new season. In the last year, I've started investing beyond the funds in my IRA. Scary. I opened a TD Ameritrade account, put some money in it, and have tried my hand at investing in individual stocks and also covered call writing, which you can find out how to do in our investing episode with Anna Akana and Shinobu Hindert. So this stuff is all brand new to me. And as always with this show, when something is brand new to me, I want to ask all the obvious quote unquote questions so you don't have to. ESG funds, which we're going to talk about this episode, have grown in public awareness in the last couple years with headlines like money invested in ESG funds more than doubles in a year from a place that is my enemy or millennials spurred growth in ESG investing or this article from Bloomberg ESG assets may hit 53 trillion by 2025 and a Reuters article called analysis how 2021 became the year of ESG investing. Now, there's also articles that are like, ESG funds may miss the mark. So it's kind of a contested topic. And it's so contested that a lot of you graciously wrote in requesting more information about what's called ethical investing, or at least you shared your opinions on its pros and cons. That's why I wanted to get into it with very little fanfare. This is our Environmental, Social, and Governance Fund episode. That's what ESG stands for. So what does it mean when a fund or company passes the test to become labeled ESG? And how does only investing in those funds change the amounts of money we can make? This episode, we're breaking it all down into simple, digestible bites with Kevin L. Matthews of Building Bread. Do you like my pun? Digestible bites, bread? Kevin is a financial advisor and teaches people how to plan for retirement as well as provides his own investing courses. And for this week, we only have one guest. It's a tight little episode. Consider this a service episode. 
one that aims to answer questions in a concise and educational manner. The first time ESG funds came up was in an episode we did about impact investing, which is another term that kind of talks about investing in a way that makes changes you agree with in the world. There's talk all the time now about ethical ways to participate in the stock market. And while I love getting philosophical or political on this show, and choosing ESG funds is definitely political, I also want to give you some practical episodes. And let me know what you think about the interview after you listen. So many of you have written to me in the past about ethical investing, impact investing, ESG funds, all of that kind of stuff related to the stock market. So I'm curious about your thoughts now. So let's get into ESG funds and how you invest in them and if you should invest in them with Kevin L. Matthews. My name is Kevin Matthews II. I'm an author and finance educator. I've been doing this since about 2010. And what's your whole company called? Yeah, I started a company called Building Bread, where my job is to make investing simple. I help explain the stock market, help people to invest, especially for those first-time investors, so you can grow your money and really just understand all the jargon and stuff that's out there. Yes. So speaking of jargon, we've done a few stock market episodes, but I really want to talk about ESG funds because I feel like they are coming up so much when you research, when you're looking at being a first-time investor. And they've grown in popularity. So what are ESG funds? Yeah, ESG stands for environmental, social, and government. And those are three areas that are graded to understand how well a company is doing in terms of their responsibility as what we call like corporate citizens. So, okay, so what are considered environmental funds? So they usually package all these three together. But when we say environmental funds, we are looking to invest in companies that are doing well for the planet. They're cutting down their emissions. They are paying attention to the things they are putting out there and making sure that they are responsible in terms of the damage they're doing to the environment or ways in which they're trying to help and heal the environment. And then what about the S? The S is for social. These are companies that are looking to have a good social impact for employees and the people that they serve. A lot of times we look at this in terms of diversity and also pay. So are you paying people equally across the board or is there a big divergence from those? And then the governance part. Yep. Governance usually falls into the board of directors. So who is running the company? How diverse are the people that are running the company? But also how are they spending their money in terms of lobbying and really political influence? So they're paying attention to that as well. Okay, so what does the rise in popularity of these funds say about the priorities of investors today? It's showing that investors really care about where their money is going. I think a few years ago, people would just invest in something and it's like, eh, whatever. I made money. I did make money. Whereas now people are paying a lot more attention to how I am making money and are the companies that I believe in and I'm putting my money to, how is that making an impact? And they're really looking at that. Uh, for example, ESG funds right now are at like $17 trillion of, of value of people putting money into those. Back in 2005, it was just like $170 billion. So we're talking more than a tenfold increase of the attention and money going into these types of funds. What do you think's led to this change? I think social media has led to it where we're becoming a lot more aware of what's going on. I think access prior to, let's say, 2010 or so, Investing really felt more for the wealthy and really wasn't for the average person. And now the average person has a lot more access to it. We're asking more questions and we're becoming a lot more responsible. 
Yeah, I was going to ask, like, the rise of micro-investing or robo-investing, how has that affected? Mm-hmm. Is it made it easier for people to invest in ESGs? Oh, yeah. They're easier to find, easier to research, and then it's really just a push of a button that says, look, I believe in these things. Go put my money into those things. I think that's been a huge driver. How can a company qualify to be part of ESG? Like, who's making those decisions? How do you How do you qualify and... And how do you change, you know, to become like, okay, I'm eligible again, and who decides? Yeah, so the people that decide these are called fund managers. And there are dozens and dozens of different ESG funds, and they all have their own rubric, if you will. And what they do is they come out with that rubric, they kind of give each company a score. And if you meet a certain threshold, that's how you become added to one of those ESG funds. So they look at each of those three sectors. They say, look, you know, you're paying people equally. That's great, but you don't have diversity. Therefore, you you lose a point here. So improving in those three sectors and those three areas can improve a company's ranking. And once they hit that threshold, they'll they'll be added to one of those funds. So let's let's just take a a regular ETF. For example, SPY. That takes the top 500 companies in the U.S. To qualify, you just got to be one of the 500 biggest companies. That's it, right? And ESG will say, okay, well, of these 500, which one of these rates the highest for environment, social, and and governance? And they'll take a section of that, and that will be the fund in and of itself. So that's how they, they really work. So they're really taking everything that's out there and grading them and saying, here are the top 50 who rank the highest in terms of social mobility, in terms of how they're spending their money and how they're treating employees. So it's really a subset, I would say. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So is it better for your money to invest in them? Because I've been doing so much research and like I've seen arguments pro and con and it's like the consensus seems to switch all the time. And also depending on like who politically you're talking to. Mm-hmm. I remember a long time ago, a friend of mine was saying, oh, you know, I I had all these stocks and funds. And then I she's like kind of a wealthier person. And she said, I went to my wealth manager and I was like, hey, can we invest in only stuff that isn't like evil? And the guy was like, oh, you want one of those rather than like the default being that. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, when she told me that years ago, it stuck with me that the evil funds are the ones where you make money and the ESGs are the ones where you don't. But so they, you know, someone who's managing your money will be like, well, obviously you care about being rich. So here's But like then I now see people saying, well, actually, you can't ESGs can actually make you just as much money. So like you smiled when I said that. But like, Mm -hmm. yeah, what do you what do you make of all of this? Because I feel like it changes every time I read something. You're you're right, because there there is a, a, a flip like every I feel like every two weeks it's like, oh, they can actually get you the same or better in other cases like eh, not really. But the truth is, is they've actually been around since the 1970s, which was something that was news to me. It is not something that, that just popped up out of out of nowhere. Right. But generally, you're going to get right around the same most studies would suggest. And that's because you can also see a lot of overlap, too. For example, a lot of those major index funds invest in companies like a Microsoft and an Apple. Not surprisingly to some, those two companies tend to end up on a lot of these ESG lists because they pay employees well. They usually lobby correctly, if you will, depending on who you ask. So because they make up so much of both sectors, in many cases, not all, you're going to get the same performance. And if not, it's going to be just slightly off depending on which funds you have.
It's wild that the assumption is, oh, you, oh, you, sorry, you have to come in and ask for the nice guy fund or whatever. It's interesting. And, and going back to the studies, it all depends on like what time frame you're looking at. So for example, many ESG funds for years did not include oil companies, which were pretty terrible in terms of like return for investors. Really from like 2010 to about 2020, they, they weren't good. So by default, ESGs looked amazing during that time because you really cut <laughs> off an entire sector that one, was not environmentally friendly, and then two, did not make a lot of money for investors. Um, so there are a lot of cases where you can make the same, if not more money with ESG funds. It just depends on what's going on at yep. that time. Yep. <laughs> and so with ESGs, like we're talking about, you know, ethically and more and morally that perhaps I don't know why someone who believes otherwise would be listening to this show, although maybe just for fun. But like, you know, how did they decide the metrics? Like, it seems like you would say, oh, these metrics are very like liberal, you know, leftist. Yeah, some people are always going to have that criticism. The the thing about it, which, you know, there, there are places, there are areas in the ESG space that I have personal beefs with. But for example, mm. you do have to read the description on how they grade those companies. Because I've been in, in some spaces where I saw Wells Fargo that was inside of an ESG fund. And I'm not with Wells Fargo like that. Mm -hmm. There are some that will exclude entire sectors, which sometimes can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. I think the most important thing is as an individual, you want to say like this, these are the things I believe in and then find the fund that has that, that type of criteria and then really see how closely you can match the, the two of those things. Yes. Okay. So it's not one size fits all. There's not like one ESG fund mm -hmm. just for people who are listening who like, uh, this is their first time hearing about this. We've done episodes on impact investing, which kind of sounds similar, if not the same. Mm -hmm. If someone wants to prioritize this, like how do they start looking for ESG funds and how do they start looking for like specifically, where do you find them and, and how do you parse through what's in them? Yeah. So the easiest way, I think US News has a list of, of popular ESGs that you can kind of thumb through. I would start there. But the thing that you really want to pay attention to is anytime that you go and look into these ESGs, you can either do this on Yahoo Finance or you can go to the website itself, look at the top 10 holdings of it. And there's usually an option to either download the list if you want to go that deep into it, where it'll show you every single company that is invested uh, inside of that ESG. And that gives me a good indicator of how I feel about the company. And again, you're going to have to draw a line for yourself. So for example, the, the fund that I was mentioning earlier it had like 0.25% of the money inside of Wells Fargo. So I had to draw a line. Is it, you know, is, is that tiny sliver important enough for me to say no to the entire thing? Or is that something that I'm just going to deal with it compared to something else? Um, so you always want to take a look at what is the criteria, what, what companies are in there, and then whether or not that meets the threshold for your personal values. What's your beef with Wells Fargo? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, so Wells Fargo, <laughs> Wells Fargo was sued for discriminatory lending policies not too long ago, and they really preyed on black and brown communities and specifically went to black churches to sell subprime mortgages and loans, charging them more than what they should have. Not to mention the entire fake uh, account scandal that they just recently went through just a few years ago. So that's just a few things with Wells Fargo specifically. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, like drawing that line, technically I could... I could say any bank, right? Any large bank. So you really have to kind of sit and say like, here's how I feel about, you know, my values and which type, which funds fit for me. 
Yeah, it's hard. I mean, um, it, you have to sort of go through like each one and tr- and do a bunch of research on what is important to you and what it means to you. Mm-hmm. And then it, in terms of capitalism, you're always, by participating in it, you're always making some sort of concession. Mm-hmm. And like, you're, you know, you're always sort of judging, okay, this company has a good grade here, but not here. But like this fund, you know, has everything I want, except for like you said, oh, a tiny part of it as Wells Fargo. Is there, is this conscious capitalism? What is this? Is there such a thing? (laughs) (laughs) It depends on, on what part of the, this, so someone, so I studied economics. So I, you know, when someone says capitalism, I have like the textbook definition versus like what we feel, right. Which is very, Mm -hmm. very real. Um, I think this is pro- this would fit into what most people would consider conscious capitalism to a degree that I can impact, right? Like I could go through individually and pick 50 companies that I personally believe in, make my own fund technically, right? But that's a lot of research. That's a lot of risk, right? So it's like, how can I find a good middle ground that I think helps the overall good? And I think this is, you know, an an easy way to do that and just progress forward to get as close to that as we can. Yeah. Like you said, it's it's risky. Can you explain why a fund is less risky than, like you said, going through and picking 50 companies that you believe in? Yeah. Yeah. So it's really, you know, the, the old cliche of putting all your eggs in one basket. And when you are picking a fund, you are spreading out that risk because what I may love and believe in. I'm, I could be wrong, right? And every year the economy changes, every year the market changes. So you're really spreading out that risk and saying, look, I'm putting my my money, my future earnings in retirement in different buckets so that if things don't go the way I expect them to, I'm going to be okay. As opposed to putting everything in one basket and that thing not doing well and that puts me at risk. So you would say ESGs are, are good for retirement? I would say generally, yes. Um, for some circles, it might be <laughs> a little controversial, but the data says Why? that, well, that's because it's, you know, like you said earlier, you know, most of the, the corporate guys are like, ah, oh, they're not good, right? <laughs> well, the data shows that they've been, one, they've been around for a while, two, they can get you very similar returns. And I think if you have that option in reti- your retirement and you're comfortable with the previous returns, I think you can be okay. I have not seen anything overwhelmingly that says that you're going to make a significantly, um, uh, significant amount less money by investing in ESGs. And until that case changes, I think it is okay to consider it to be a part of your retirement strategy. Forgive me if this is obvious, but are you allowed to, like, when you're doing stuff, a 401k through a company and all this kind of stuff, are you allowed to request, like, I would I would like this to be in an ESG or I would like to know that we are investing in companies that are not doing things I disagree with? Yeah, so you are allowed to request that. The way that generally for a 401k, they kind of give you a menu and say, these are your options. If you see that there is no option for you to invest in an ESG fund, that's something you would ask HR to see if they can include. In some cases, you might have to get a petition and kind of get some company support to get that added. Thankfully, there are many companies that have started to add that as an option, but it's definitely something if you go in and you log in and don't see it and you want to invest in it, definitely ask your HR department to see what they can do. Yeah. What about like pensions? You can also sort of make similar requests. You can make similar requests, but you're going to have to get a lot more scale and buy in. Um, so, for example, yeah. you're, when you invest in your pension, you don't really get to choose funds in most cases. You just they take money out and they they kind of do what they do with it. However, what you can mm-hmm. do is you can you can request a report of like, hey, where is this money going? And again, start to either send a request 
and say, look, me and 50 of our employees don't really like the way this is being invested. How can we change this? How can we get closer to this? For example, I think in New York City, the city's pension was shifting and going more into green energy for an envi- for environmental reasons. So with the right support and the right type of, I would say, momentum and push, these things can happen. And in some cases, they are because it's becoming more popular, um, which is a good thing. And companies are starting to be a little bit more incentivized to become more energy uh, friendly and more social friendly and being more conscious of how they're governing the company as well. What about, you know, I've heard this similar stuff for um, the college endowments. Like if you're a college student, um, you can go to, you know, your your college and say the endowment is invested in things that are harmful for the environment and are, you know, harmful for LGBTQ people. Is it a similar process? You just like get, you know, you try to get as many of your fellow students as possible or alumni and, and check that out. Yeah. And I think this is this is one reason when we talk about like the push and the popularity of it is because of social media, because one is more accessible. And it's easier to share the information. And that that's an opportunity to say, look, I don't really believe in this is an institution that's supposed to be of higher learning, supposed to be, teach me to be a better citizen. Why are you putting your money in these places? Um, so, yes, that is something that you can request understand, read and research, and then start to get alumni support, get media attention if possible to get them to shift the way that that money is being invested. It's interesting. You're talking about social media. You brought it up a few times. Like, and, and I think that dovetails with, with micro investing where like there was no incentive for young people to particularly care, but now they, it's their money. So the generation that does care about this, like they're almost like woke up to being like, wait a minute, like, (laughs) There's something I can do about these, you know, unethical companies like making so much money. But it's so hard because then like, you know, this show cares about this. Other shows I listen to that are like investment shows, like I just listened to one where they were like, you got to invest in Amazon. I'm telling you, it's the it's the thing, you know, Jeff Bezos' leadership, <laughs> whatever. And I'm like, oh, you live on a different planet than I do. Like we are on different planets. I would like to have money on my planet, but like, it's still, like you said, feels controversial, but maybe do you think it'll feel less controversial to like newer generations upcoming? Yeah, I I definitely think so. I think there's, there's still like that new school, old school mentality. Like you don't Mm -hmm. have to crush people to be wealthy or or to make like a, a good living. You don't have to do it that way. <laughs> there are plenty of ways. Exactly. <laughs> like, there's a middle ground here. But the, the good thing is I do like seeing where people take a stance and say, look, I'm I'm not gonna invest in the Amazon. I'm not gonna invest in XYZ because I think mm-hmm. that there are better places. And the great thing about the way that the investing space has opened up is you can actually see other places that are doing quite well without doing those exact same business practices. Right, exactly. Like it's, um, I, you know, I get the sense from other people talking about investing who are like, who cares, whatever, like just invest in the richest thing. And like, it doesn't matter. But you know, the, the more popular the ESG funds get, you're right, the more incentive there are for more companies to try to meet the requirements. And, um, hopefully it won't be the default, you know, to, invest unethically in order to to become sustained by your investments in some kind of way or in order to, you know, I don't know, I don't know, conscious capitalism. I, I like go back and forth so much on this show. <laughs> well, I, I look at it like this. I think the most valuable 
some people will call this a resource, but th the most valuable thing for any company are the people that work there. And when you take care of your employees, when you pay them well, and they are excited and happy to be there, you tend to make better products. When you make better products, you get more money out of people like me, right? And that's that's how I see the economy working. And if I look at the best performing companies, usually it's people who like working there and are treated well or are paid equally for, for the things that they do. You know, for for example, one thing, and I know like every company has its, its own, you know, criticisms, but take Costco compared to an Amazon. Costco mm -hmm. in 2020 paid a permanent increase for everyone who worked in the stores. They saw more than 90% of people who had Costco memberships renew their memberships. And because Costco did so well, the stock was up 50% and they gave investors a, new, a higher dividend and the workers got paid a bonus. And it's like, hey, we can all win here. Yeah, they were not. Look, I'm like a queer, like trans non-binary person. You're a black man. Like, I think they, they were not prepared for us to have money. <laughs> like, I feel like they were not prepared. They were like, no, no, this is not who has the money and invests. What, why are these people here now all of a sudden? <laughs> like, I have to cater to a new market now. <laughs> You know? uh, my last question is like, what about like specific bonds or other investments that could center an investor's like morality and values other than ESG funds? Are there other types of, of things that you would recommend? There are. They're a little harder to to get access to. So, it, you know, the way that the world is moving, these are becoming more accessible. The ones that are outside of ESG funds are, are starting to be more easily accessed, but not quite there. One of the things um, that become more popular what are called green bonds and blue bonds. These are loans that you give to companies to do green energy projects or blue for water projects. I think Apple announced, I think, 10 or, or about 10 projects or so that were green bonds. So you loan Apple money, they create, let's say, a green factory, and they will pay you back plus interest. Um, so again, those are a little harder to get access to for everyone, but there are some green and blue bond funds that are more accessible, but they're not as popular just yet. But I think within the next few years or so, they will be. Wow. Cool. I didn't know about that. Wow. Well, thank you so much for um, coming on the show. Can you tell my audience where they can find you and find out more about you? Sure. You can find more about me on all things social media at Building Bread and at BuildingBread.com. I remember a while ago before I'd ever entertained the idea of investing on my own, a friend told me they'd gone into their wealth manager and asked which companies their retirement was invested in. Without knowing about the existence of ESGs as a thing, they asked if it was possible to only invest in companies that were good for the planet. Their broker said something like, oh, 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 you mean the kindness fund, which was a prepared set of ESG funds that he had already compiled. If she hadn't asked, she probably wouldn't have been given the option. She had no idea it was even possible to shift where your money was invested if you were working with funds. When she told me this, I had no base of knowledge either. I'd never, out of fear and anxiety, asked where my retirement accounts were invested. I did not really know who to ask. I barely knew they were invested. And when I did finally reach out to the guy who was managing my IRA, he was like, what took you so long? I had no idea how to align my values in my individual stock investments in a way that had a strategy behind it. I'm just learning all of this like right now, beside a lot of you, it seems. We don't know what we don't know exists. We can't choose the right options for us, options, get it a pun, if we don't know what's on the table. Another bread pun. Okay, I'm done. 
If you have more questions or more investing topics you want us to cover, email me at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com. We have an upcoming episode planned about dividends, but tell me anything else you want to know and I'll work to cover it on Bad With Money, either in a regular episode or a mailbag. Dividends. My dad said that my grandfather talked about dividends nonstop, so I should probably know what they are. You can also leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040 or email me a voice memo if you prefer. Be sure to join in on the discussion wherever you hang out. We're on Discord, Facebook, Patreon, Instagram. Everything will be linked in the episode description. And yes, we're going to be talking about the stock market because it's new to me and I'm interested in it. So if you have ideas for other episodes about the stock market, let me know. Let me know. Okay. Love you guys. Bye. Done. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.